have gotten to hear a lot of what she is going to share with you tonight, and it's very good stuff. Um, I, Whenever I hear a message, I want it to be straight out of the Bible, and I want it to be challenging, because that's what, that's what we want, is we want to be equipped, we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to leave different than we came. So she's going to teach us about five lessons that she's learned throughout her life that I know are going to encourage you, but also be like, Okay, I can do better. I'll say it. You don't know how you're going to say it, but I'll say it. We could do better, okay? So here is Dawn to share with us. Yay! Yay! <laughs> you have to be this old before you can share five things for every decade. <sighs> Aren't you glad I'm not 100? <laughs> 50 years of ministry. That's what we're celebrating. 50 years of married life and 50 years of ministry. A lot of you already um, know our story, our background story. Thank you. Um, married at 17 years old, uh, graduated in May, got married in June, and started pastoring in October. So uh, I didn't go to college. Uh, I'm not proud of that, but it wasn't really in the plan for me. And although I didn't go to school, I have been schooled. Um, there's no better training than on-the-job training, right? Uh, learning by mistakes, learning things the hard way. Uh, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home, so that was, a, you know, a minus for me. Um, had a lot to learn. Uh, one of my earliest mentors was my mother-in-law. And one of the things that I remember that she told me uh, from the very beginning, when we first became pastors, she had been a pastor's wife for many years, and one of the first things she told me was that um, many of the problems of pastors and the pastor's wives um, could have been avoided if they would learn to keep their mouth shut. Okay, so that was one of the first lessons I learned. Now, I actually spoke this lesson to the Mid-Cities pastors and their wives. And so what I'm talking to you about tonight, I'm going to share with you like as if I was sharing with them, but I think you're going to get something out of it. Because if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Right? So anyway, first off, the first thing, the first decade that I learned in ministry, the very first thing I learned was to control my tongue. And um, that goes for, I'm saying control my tongue, but you know what? That goes for eye expressions and facial expressions because people can tell what you're thinking or what you're saying just by the way you, they read your face. And if you're not good at you know, controlling your eye expressions, you're really not good at controlling your tongue because people can read you. Um, but one of the things you have to keep control of your tongue over is with confidences that are shared with you. So, okay, I'm talking to pastor's wives, but here I am, girls, I'm talking to you. You better learn to control your confidences that are shared to you, uh, those secrets that are told to you. I'm going to tell you a story that is hilarious, but when we were 17 years old, just barely married, just been married a few months, and we started pastoring this little church in a little bitty town where everybody knew each other, and um, just kids, and I was, I was so shy, 
and so introverted that I never got out of the house because everybody that lived around us knew who I was. And anytime I poked my nose out the front door, everybody knew, oh, there she is, you know. And I was so shy and introverted, I stayed in the house all the time. But um, we had a young couple from the town, not from our church, but from the town that came to us for counseling. A young married couple, here we are 17, barely been married, very long at all, and this couple comes to us and wants us to counsel them. Y'all, I've never heard of some of the stuff they were saying. I was so naive, and they were saying, well, this and this and this, and I was like, and trying to control my facial expressions, and trying not to be shocked at some of the things they were telling us about their marriage, and I was, you know, I was like horrified, and Part of it, I didn't even know what they were talking about. And so, and neither did my husband. Isn't that cool? (laughs) And so anyway, after, I mean, we sit there on the couch trying not to be like, (laughs) and still we were just sitting there going. And then when they left, we looked at each other and went, can you believe And then we got the dictionary out and tried to look up some of the things they were telling us about. (laughs) We were shocked. Sadly, there's not too many things that shock me anymore after all these years. In fact, uh, but even, even at that, there are things that I don't know. You know, somebody was saying something a few Sundays ago and I said, what is that? What does that mean? And so she had to tell me what she was talking about and I, I wished I hadn't asked afterwards, but... So anyway, so one of the things you need to do is keep your mouth shut when somebody shares a confidence with you. Ladies, that's so important. I don't care if you're in ministry or not. It's so important. Okay. Then you also need to share, keep your mouth shut and watch your tongue with controversy. Control your tongue. Controversy is going to rise. It is. Don't take sides and don't stir the pot. Don't take sides. Don't tell other people's stuff. Don't uh, tell everyone what their faults are. Don't tell everyone what their shortcomings are. Learn to keep your mouth shut. After all these years, I have to say that sometimes I still have problems with this. Um, Because you know what? In James chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Consider um, a great forest set on fire by a tiny spark. The tongue also is a fire. So the tongue is a fire, and and that little spark can start a whole fire burning. Um, Learn to keep your mouth shut in controversy. Uh, After all these years, like I said, I still have struggle with this sometimes. When someone offends you, ladies, I might have to stand up to say this one because it's so important. When someone offends you, you do not go tell your best friend what they did. Because what happens when you do that, when, say, say for instance, that Melinda says something and hurts my feelings, and I go to uh, Jill and I say, well, you know what she did? And then all of a sudden, Jill's like, well, I'm mad at her too. Well, she hadn't even done anything to you, but, but because she hurt my feelings, now you're mad at her too. And then I'm going to go to Kristen, I'm going to say, and you know what she did? And then all of a sudden, Krista's mad at her too. And you go from one person to the next telling your offense. And then all of a sudden, everybody's mad at this one person and they didn't even do anything to them. So the person you go to when you're offended is the person who offended you. And you don't go telling everybody else because that's stirring the pot. 
Um, James 3 and 9 says, with our tongue, we praise our Lord and we curse men. What? How can we praise the Lord and curse men in the same breath? You're right. We do it. When we're speaking ill of someone, we do it. Proverbs 26 and 20 says, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. In other words, if you keep your mouth shut, it'll die down. But if you keep stirring it up, you're going to have a problem. Okay, so the third thing that you need to learn to keep your mouth shut about is your own stuff. You don't need to tell everybody your stuff, y'all. Especially if you're married, you don't need to be telling everybody this stuff about your husband. They don't need to know. And you don't need to be telling everybody all the intimate details of your life. And then expecting them to control their tongue. Um, you can't do that. You, you might have need to go to someone for counseling or for advice um, to tell your private stuff to. But make sure... That you're not telling one person and then another person and then another person and then another person. And then you might accuse somebody of telling your stuff when you've already told three or four people yourself or four or five people. And you're blaming them. Um, so control your tongue. Don't tell your private stuff. Find a trustworthy mentor or a prayer partner and, and share with them someone that you know that you can confide in. Maybe a leader in the church or something. But don't just go telling people your stuff. Because then you get a reputation. You get a reputation of, man, she's, her life's messed up, you know, and, and my life might be just as messed up, but nobody's going to know about it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Choose carefully. Keep, learn to keep your um, tongue in control. Okay, so the second thing I want to share with you tonight is that um, you are a leader. Even if you don't want to be, you are a leader. For me, I had to come to realize this, that if God called my husband, then I'm called too. He didn't put me together with my husband by accident. It wasn't an accident. He didn't put us together accidentally. When he called my husband, I'm called too. Uh, This was a struggle for me. Was I called? Yes. I knew it from my childhood. I knew I was called, but I didn't want to always answer the call. You know, have you had your, <clears throat> maybe it's you. I, I, the only thing I relate it to right now is my husband. You know, when you're calling him, you say, honey, nothing. Hey, babe, nothing. You know, it's usually when he knows I want him to do something, right? Or it's your kid. You're saying so-and-so and so-and-so, and you always call him by their middle name if you're talking to your kid, if you want him to do something. Chris Ray? Right? And they don't answer you because they know you want them to do something. Well, that's the way I kind of was with God. When he was calling me, I was like, I was like a kid or like my husband. I remember saying to my husband when he, we were called to ministry and we first began ministry, I remember telling him, can't we do something else? I'd tell him, babe, you would be a really good deacon in the church. I'm telling you this tonight because I want you to understand that sometimes obedience is a struggle. Sometimes when you, God calls you to do something, to obey him is a real struggle. 
I wanted to do anything else. I wanted to be anything else. Y'all, I had it in my heart to be a court reporter. <laughs> I wanted to be a court reporter, but God called me to be in, in the ministry. I am not going to have the same abilities as every other pastor's wife. I will have my own set of giftings. Y'all, you're not going to be the same as your best friend. You're not going to be the same as some other person in the church, but you have your own giftings. God has given you your own giftings. Um, It might be to be a teacher. It might be to be an author. It might be to be a musician, an entertainer. And I came across this one today that I love it because he might just call you to be a helper. This morning, uh, I was watching um, uh, them set up, take down, tear down the coffee bar afterwards and clean it out and everything. And I, I went over and I said, you know, I really appreciate what y'all do. This is, this is not a fun job. It's okay serving the coffee, but when it comes time to tear it down and clean it up, that ain't no fun. And I really appreciate you doing that. When I got home, I was thinking about it. And I came across this scripture in Romans 12 and 7, and it says that one of the gifts that he gives us is, you know, like prophecy and all these gifts. But one of the gifts that he said he gives us is to be a helper, the gift of helps or the gift of serving. I'm telling you, those people out there at the coffee bar were serving today when they were tearing down the coffee pot and cleaning it all out. I told my husband today, I said, there, we have a lot of, we have a lot of people in our church who have the gift of serving. You know, it's, it's okay. We don't mind serving for the funeral dinners because we get out to get out there and we get to serve the people and help them and we get to sit down and eat. But you know what? You'd be surprised how many people get up and go home when it's time to do the dishes. And so when we're serving, And we're doing the dishes for a funeral dinner. Hello, that is a ministry that God has called you to. You have to be willing to do those things. Now, sometimes God just asks you to smile and love the people. And there's a ministry in that too. This is your world, y'all. This is your world. This is where God has placed you. This is where he wants you. This is where he wants you to work. All of you are here tonight. Some of you are guests, but I'm talking about our own people. This is where he's placed you. He wants you to work. I'm going to tell you the happiest I've ever been is when I'm walking in my own calling and I'm using the gifts that he has gifted me with. That's when I'm the happiest. For me, when I started wanting to do my own thing, like going to court reporting school, <laughs> when I started doing wanting to do my own thing was me want, wanting to walk in my own selfishness. But when you are walking with the Lord and walking in your own calling, that's when you're going to be the happiest. I can always tell if I'm not close to God or not because that's when I start wanting to do something else. Recognize your giftings. They will develop and they'll even change over time. My giftings versus from the beginning of our ministry to now are completely different. Um, when we first got, were in ministry, um, um, we had a little lady in our church who was determined that I was going to play the piano. So... That was my gifting for a while. I'm not sure how gifted I was. But I did play the piano for probably the first 20, 20 years of ministry. And uh, I haven't played, the, I haven't even touched a keyboard in probably 15 years. But it was my ministry for that season. Uh, children's church, I've never done that, never wanted to. Um, but I was for many years, I was a youth sponsor. 
Um, many years I did youth girls ministry. Many years I ministered to the young adults and college students and then to the ladies. And now my ministry is to smile and love the people. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's my favorite one. I told my husband the other day, what do I do now? And he's like, just smile and love the people. So that's me. If you see me out there smiling, I'm just smiling and loving on y'all. Okay. If you, even if you stay in the same area of ministry your whole life, uh, it's still going to be changing up the whole time you're doing it. You might end up being the teacher that teaches the ones who are learning to do your ministry. So, okay. Number three, this is a good one and you might not think it applies to you, but it does. The scripture is found in Hebrews 13 and 17 in the amplified version. I'm going to read this. Listen really closely. Okay. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you for they are keeping watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those will give an account as those who will give an account. Okay. That's talking to y'all, right? Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them. Y'all don't like that. I know, but that's what the word says. Okay, but then it says this, let them do this with joy. Talking about the leaders, he says, we're guarding your spiritual welfare as those who give an account. And he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief and groans and groanings, for this would be of no benefit to you. Okay, so that tells me right there that there's going to be some joy and there's going to be some groaning. Have you ever looked down at your phone and saw who was calling you and let out a groan? Uh-huh. What would cause me to groan when I look down at my phone when somebody's calling me? Maybe that person is a complaining person or a critical person or a questioning person who always wants counsel, but they're not willing to change. And when I, after I've counseled them for months at a time and I've seen no change and I look down at my phone and I'm like, ah. and that person, I promise you is causing me more groaning than they are joy. We all have that person or persons in our life, right? Mike and I, my husband, Pastor Mike and I, we want to watch over your souls. Sometimes it's with joy. Most of the time it's with joy. As we see you grow and we see you make progress and in your spiritual journey and we're so proud of you and it's so cool to, to watch you grow. What a joy and how exciting. But then every once in a while there's situations where we're like, this is grief and groaning. Obstacles are going to come. And often the obstacles that come our way are through people. My husband has always said that, that sometimes God is building the church and sometimes he's building the leader. So let me tell you that in your, in your situation, sometimes God is building your ministry. Sometimes he's building the leader. It's more painful when he's building the leader for you, right? Sometimes God's building your home. Sometimes he's building the parent. Obstacles are going to come and they're going to be in the form of people. Sometimes it comes with great joy and sometimes it comes with a lot of groaning. This applies to all of us at the same time. 
um, God often sends obstacles to get you where he eventually wants you to be. Um, It reminds me of the story in the Bible of Joseph and the obstacles that he overcame in order for God to get him where he needed to be. Now, Joseph, um, he had a dream that he was going to be a ruler. And yet there was so many obstacles that he had to overcome first. And it was all through people. The people were the obstacles. His brothers, first of all, because his brothers, they hated him enough that they tried to destroy him and they ended up selling him into slavery. So the people that was his obstacle were those people who were supposed to love him. Sometimes the obstacles that you have to overcome are come through people who are supposed to love you. And then Joseph went on. He started working for Potiphar. And he worked his heart out for Potiphar. And then it turns out that Potiphar's wife lies about him and has him thrown in prison. His obstacle came from those, that person that he was serving with all of his heart. Are y'all getting this? The first obstacle came through one, someone who was supposed to love him. The second one came through someone he was serving with all his heart. And then the last obstacle that came his way was the chief cupbearer who he ministered to. He told him what God's plan was for him. He told him what his future was. And then he went off and forgot him. So that person that came was an obstacle to Joseph was the person that he ministered to. Are y'all getting this? I need to say it again. The person that was supposed to be loving him was an obstacle. The person that he was serving with all of his heart was an obstacle. And then the person that he was ministering to, all of those were obstacles in Joseph's life. You're all going to come to that at some point in your life, though. You're going to have to overcome those kind of obstacles. Not all storms come to destroy you. Some storms come to clear the path for you. Not all storms come to, to destroy you, but sometimes God's just trying to clear out the debris to get you where he wants you to be. Joseph had to overcome all these obstacles in order to get to the place where God ultimately wanted him as the ruler, right? He said there would be some groaning. Even Jesus' obstacles finally got him to the cross. Y'all? Jesus had to overcome the obstacles, and guess who they were? People. It was people. It was the first obstacle, obstacle came from those who were supposed to love him, and instead Judas betrayed him. The second obstacle came from, from those he was serving, and the third one came from those he was ministering to. We have to remember that there may be some groaning along the way, but nothing or no one can stand in the way or alter God's perfect will for your life. As long as you're seeking him and doing your very best to follow him, y'all, promotion comes from God and God alone. And so nothing or no one can stand in the way. Okay, number four. Wow, I got 12 minutes. Okay, number four. Um, one of the lessons that I've learned my fourth decade, okay. Um, you have to be what you want to see. 
I really think after all these years of ministry and pastoring that the church takes on the personality of the pastor. Let me tell you a funny example, okay? My husband told this story, and I thought it was hilarious. He was in a service where somebody from a different country was ministering and had a real heavy accent. And so he was, you know how pastors or preachers will say, amen? And everybody says, amen. Well, this guy had a really heavy accent, and he kept saying, amen? Amen? And Mike said before the service was over, there was this whole roll of people on the front. They didn't even know they were doing it, but they would say, hey, mom. (laughs) I think the church takes on the pastor's personality. Okay, that just means that your home is going to take on your personality. It's not just the church. It's your ministry. What ministry are you leading? That ministry is going to take on your personality. Um, Do we want a missions church? Yes, you know the heart of the pastor. If you want a missions church, you got to stress, stress missions. You have to give to missions. You have to lead the way, right? If you want an exuberant church, you have to be enthusiastic and exuberant. There's a shift in the atmosphere. I mean, I, sometimes I, I notice it visibly. Sometimes when my husband walks to the platform and he says, Good morning, how's everybody this morning? There's a shift in the atmosphere. Um, If you want to pray in church, you have to lead the way in prayer, special prayer events. If you want a quiet church, who wants that, right? (laughs) Maybe that's your personality, you know, and you can't help it. That's just your personality. Well, your church will probably take on your personality. Uh, Do you want to be, have a joyful church? Do you want to have a joyful home? They're going to take on your personality. I love this table right here. I love them. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> if you want the gifts of the Spirit in your church, if you want the gifts of the Spirit flowing in your home, in the ministry that you lead, then you have to practice the gifts of the Spirit. Be what you want to see. Because your church is going to take on your personality. It'll take time, but be the leader. Lead them. Lead your people in being what you believe is God's will for your people. For your ministry, for your family, for your group. They're never going to arise above their leader. They will take on your personality, your strengths. Be what you want to see. Okay, the last one is um, number five, fifth decade. I, I think that I've learned this in the past, but I learned it even more and in more depth um, this past decade, probably even this past year. And that is that often the miracles of God are a process and not immediate. We all want God to do the miracle right now. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, it's frustrating sometimes to me. I've questioned this many times. After all, God has all power to work instantly. So why doesn't he? Y'all ever asked yourself that question? 
God, I know you're all powerful, so why aren't you taking care of this? I have the answer. I think there's just too much for us to learn for him to do it instantly. Now, sometimes he does instantly. I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that he doesn't. But most of the time, it seems God works in, a, in processes. When we came here 20 years ago versus now, I look back and I'm amazed at what all God's done. But while I've been walking this journey, it seemed like he was like, God, are you ever going to do anything with this church? Are you ever going to grow us? Are you ever going to do the miracle? Are you ever, you know, every week, God, this week, this week, this week, when we pastored our very first church, we put a, like a goal up on the um, board that say attendance goal, you know, well, our first attendance, I mean, they were only running 13. And so he didn't, he didn't want to overwhelm them. So he put attendance goal 15. And so when we finally reached that goal, it was like, yes. And then he, and we still had people in church saying, ah, we'll never have, and he put, he changed it from 15 to 20. And so when we did that, he was like, they were like, ah, we'll never have 20 in this church again. And it went on like that every time, just raising it by five, raising it by five. When we got to about 50, one of the ladies that was one of the main ones that said, we'll never have that, this church again. She's like, oh, don't raise it five, raise it 20 or raise it, because and it was a gradual thing. It wasn't like all of a sudden all these people came in. It was a gradual thing. That's how I look at our church today. I look back over the last 20 years and at the time it seemed like God was doing nothing. At the time it was like, come on, God, are you going to do anything? You're able to do a miracle. Why aren't you doing it? And now I look back and I see, well, he was doing it all along. He was doing it all along. Um, the answer to that is just that there's so much for us to learn. And he wants us to learn it. Uh, and when we feel like God is not doing much, if we just look back, we'll see the miracle has been a gradual thing. I want to share just a little bit with you tonight. And I hope I don't overshare this because I've shared it before with uh, other ladies. But this past year has been a um, difficult year for me health-wise. And... Um, there didn't seem to be any answers. I mean, I didn't know what the answer was and my doctor didn't know, but uh, my blood pressure was going higher and higher and higher and it was uh, running over 200, over 100 and two, 220 over 110 and, and I was on medication and nothing was working and I felt horrible all the time and, and I was scared I was going to have a stroke or I was scared I was going to have a heart attack and it just seemed like there was nothing that could be done and I kept saying, God, you, you can fix this. God, you can do this, and I need you to, to heal me. And my answer just kept being, just trust in me. Just trust in me. And I feel like there was so much that God wanted me to learn. that he, That's why he didn't do it in, instantly. So first of all, he, had to, he wanted me to trust. That was the first thing he was trying to teach me. He's trying to teach me to trust. The doctors had no answer. I had to trust God. I was taking up to three and four emergency pills a day. And instead of being better, it just kept going up and going up and going up. And I thought, well, Lord, am I going to be here in this chair from now on just trying to pamper my blood pressure to keep it down? And I had no answer, but I was like, God, I, I just have to trust you because the doctor doesn't have an answer. And so there was a group of ladies that <coughs> bound together and Veronica was leading them and they began to pray and fast for me. 
Y'all have no idea. What was there eight ladies, Veronica? Eight or eight ladies who prayed and fasted me for me every day. Okay, God was trying to teach me to trust him, but another thing he was trying to teach me to do was to work for it. You want to see a miracle? What are you willing to do for it? What are you willing to do for it? Do what needs to be done. We finally, I finally found a doctor who told me exactly what to do. I knew exactly what to do, but was I willing to do it? That meant giving up salt, y'all. You think that's not hard. I'm telling you, it was horrible. I, I needed to pray, and I needed to diet, and I needed to exercise. And that was the answer. And I want to tell you, as long as I don't eat salt, my blood pressure stays good. But when I start disobeying those orders, my blood pressure goes right back up again. The Lord wanted me teach, to teach me to trust. He wanted to teach me to work for it. But another thing he wanted to do was he wanted to teach others. Those eight women, he wanted to teach you ladies to trust and to pray and to believe and to hold on and to not quit. He wanted to teach you that if you if allowed that if he would allow you to become a part of the miracle. And those eight ladies that held me up in prayer for those months, they are the part of the miracle. And so God taught me sometimes he doesn't do things instantly. Sometimes it's a process that we have to walk through. God wants to give us the chance to enjoy every part of the process. Our miracle means more to us when we when we forget uh, when we never forget that journey. That miracle means you can't even believe. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving me the answer. Thank you for walking through that journey with me. That miracle means more to me than anything right now. Because God walked me through that and he, he taught other people during the process. And he taught me to work for it. Y'all, there's so many lessons to learn in ministry. God never runs out of things to teach us. And when I was writing down, trying to find, think of five things for each decade, well, I mean, that, these are the things that made the list. My list went on and on. I would like to be open and, and um, looking for other truths because God has taught me many lessons. He's taught me lessons on how to praise and what praise does in our lives. He's taught me lessons as a pastor's wife about hospitality. He's taught me lessons about preferring others over myself. He's taught me lessons about self-confidence. He's taught me lessons about self-righteousness. That's a hard one. He taught, he's taught me lessons about humility. He's taught me to follow as well as lead. He's taught me lessons about being myself. He's taught me lessons about taking offense. As a leader, you're going to have lots of opportunities to be offended. He's taught me lessons about uh, how my choices will determine my destiny. He's taught me how to have mercy for mean people. (laughs) Y'all didn't think there was any of those out there, right? He's taught me so many lessons. I mean, it's like, oh, I should write a book. (laughs) Because all these lessons I've learned over the years, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. For lessons learned. He's not finished yet either. I still, you know, as long as we're breathing, we have lessons to learn. As long as we're breathing. 
I want to pray for you tonight. And I was thinking today, my time is up, so I'm done speaking. But I'm not done. (laughs) Um, And I told Amanda this before the service tonight. At lunchtime today, I told my husband, I said, I feel like time is running out. And I haven't told all these ladies everything I want to tell them. And I have so many things on my heart. I just want to, I just want to sit down and have conversations with you and tell you all the things that are on my heart. And my time is running out. But I hope these few things that I shared with you tonight will hit home with you. Because I want to pray with you who struggle with controlling your tongue. And I want to pray with you if you're struggling against the call of being the leader God wants you to be. I want to pray with you if you have more groaning than you have joy. I love you, ladies. I want to pray with you if you're having a struggle about wondering why the miracle's not coming and you're bogged down in all the process. So I am not going to call you up front, but if you would like to have prayer, I'm just going to ask you to stand in your seat where you're at. If you're struggling with any, any one of those things that I've talked about today, 